Are you merciful? Why? Because Jesus healed the sick. Because Jesus fed the multitudes. Because Jesus gave legs to the crippled. Because Jesus granted sight to the blind. Because Jesus opened the ears of the deaf. Because Jesus found prostitutes and tax collectors and drew them into the sphere of his love. Because Jesus touched the untouchable and loved the unlovable and forgave the unforgivable and welcomed the undesirable. Because Jesus even now saves the otherwise unsavable. Why? Because they deserve it. And loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done in righteousness, not because we met Him halfway, not because we took the proper steps forward and in good faith have elevated ourselves to the place of the deserving poor, but according to His mercy. We are here because Jesus Christ didn't say with cold indifference, give them what they deserve, they brought it on themselves. Jesus Christ is the mercy of God. And seeing us in our misery and need, He doesn't just feel for us. He takes the necessary action to relieve our distress. He leaves the eternal glory of heaven and the perfect fellowship of the Trinity. He condescends to us, lives among us, suffers like us, dies for us. Do you understand this? Have you experienced this? I hope that was better than last week for you guys. Thank you, thank you. I'm here every Sunday. All right, we're gonna get started with, our, with the sermon. Uh, now, as you know, we've been focusing on our series, What Makes You Happy? We wanna be people that are happy. We wanna live happy lives. And, you know, it's been that way since the beginning of time. And in Matthew chapter 5, we've been covering that, are the Beatitudes, and it talks about Jesus uh, teaching his disciples 
on principles of the kingdom, how to live a kingdom-focused life, how to be citizens of the kingdom, and the things that will make your life blessed or happy, how to be ultimately glad. And he goes through these teachings, and today we land on Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Whoops, that's not the right, that's not the right one there, guys. That was uh, last week's sermon. Next one. It's, a, it's the one that says agents of mercy. Uh, so in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, you guys could go ahead and be turning there with me in your electronic devices uh, while they get the slides up on the, on the board. You know, there was a sermon one time. This is an impromptu joke for you guys. There was a sermon one time, and the pastor was preaching on the army of the Lord and everybody being a part of it. You know, he wanted everybody to be part of the army of the Lord, and, and John was a member that wasn't frequently at service. He missed on a regular basis. Could you guys relate to that? Okay, I hope not. And, you know, the pastor was able to catch John at service the next week, and he said, John, I spoke on being part of the army of the Lord. And I didn't see you last service, and I barely caught you this Sunday out of the corner of my eye in the back of the room. Why is that? And John said, Pastor, come here. It's because I'm in the secret service. <laughs> if we're going to be part of the army of the Lord, we've got to be fully engaged. We can't be part of the secret service. And today's message is being agents. Okay, so we're not going to be secret agents but we're going to be agents that are known to all, agents of mercy. An agent is something that either is a representative of one thing or another, or is something that brings about an effect. Sometimes an agent brings about some kind of change. In this case, we are agents of mercy. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, it says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. You know, it also goes the opposite way. Those that are shown mercy, right, will give out mercy. And we ought to be representatives. We ought to be agents of mercy. Any Christian should be that. Christians ought to be known as merciful people who follow a merciful Savior. But the problem is that we come into this world born to sinners who eventually will hurt us. Now, if you know you're a parent, you know that you've hurt your children, right? How many parents have hurt their children? And, and we've all been hurt by our parents, yet we know that they love us, but we have been born into a fallen world, and we are sinners who pass on our fallenness to our children. And we relate to that. We hurt each other. It is said that hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. That's just the way it is. It becomes difficult for us to offer mercy to one another because of our past hurts, you know, our fallenness. Somebody hurts you, and you grow up, and you grow up distrusting people and somebody does you wrong, and you want to write them off completely because you don't want to feel that pain, and you don't want that reminder of our 
own fallenness. You don't want a reminder of your own fallenness. But God is incredible in that He sent Jesus to die for us, to be our Savior, to show us how to be merciful so that we could have an example to follow. But why be merciful? Why be merciful? That's the, that's the question. It's not just because God loves us and God's been merciful to us. So we're going to cover four different areas of this. Why be merciful? That answer that question. One is that God has shown us mercy. Every single one of us, God has shown us mercy. Number two, God commands us to be merciful. Number three, mercy triumphs over judgment. And lastly is what Jesus hits on here and what he wants us to learn is that mercy is the key to happiness. So number one, God has shown me mercy. In Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, it says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That, that's for you and I. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, Jesus died for us while we were powerless. He died for the ungodly while we were sinners. Before we were even born, before we repented, before we even knew about God, God died for us. And so God has shown us mercy. In the world, what we typically function by, at least on a relational level, is a meritocracy. Have you guys ever heard of that? A meritocracy is, is basically a, a system of living or a way of functioning that is based on your merits, on what you earn. In terms of relationships, you're going to have a good relationship with somebody or even just a relationship with somebody if you behave a certain way. Is that not correct? You don't want to have a relationship with somebody who doesn't earn your trust, who doesn't earn your love. People have to earn that with us, right? you you got to earn that with other people. That's the world that we live in. It's a meritocracy. You know, school works the same way. You're going to get good grades, and you're going to get a good job if you perform well. And so we apply that to our relationships. It, it's kind of a punitive ideology or a theology often that we even bring into the church, that if you do me wrong, you don't deserve my trust, and I'm going to punish you. We see that in the church. I've had people come up to me after service, Sergio, you hurt my feelings by what you said, and I don't like it. And I demand an apology from you. I'm like, wow, we live in that type of society, and we bring it into the church, don't we? And I'm going to write you off if you don't apologize or you don't earn my trust again. But Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. This is something that's called restorative justice. You know, Jesus died to restore us. He gave himself up as the perfect offering so that we could have a relationship with him. It wasn't something that you earned. 
or that you merited. He offered us mercy while we were still sinners. And we've all been wounded, and, and, and I understand that because I've been wounded as well. Every single one of us has. We have a wound that we carry with us, but what God wants that to become is a sacred wound. You know, one where you've been wounded and you understand that, but because of the love of God that he has shown you, you don't blame and shame people for your wound, but you embrace it. And you let it become part of your story, your sacred story that draws other people in and their fallenness. And you help them to understand the love that God has for you. And if God had that love for you, how God has that same love for them. And that he could show them mercy also. Mercy is not something that we deserve or that we've earned because we're so awesome. It's something that's freely given to somebody in a position of no power, coming from a person in a position of power. You see, God is in the place of ultimate power and authority. And we're in a place of, you know, just, just a mess. We're messed up. And God has the power to either condemn us, destroy us, or he has the power to show forgiveness. You know, and he, he totally forgives if you're willing to accept it. So why should I show mercy? Because God has shown me mercy. God has showered me with an endless stream of mercy. You know, I, I came, I was invited out to church for the very first time. And one of my first Bible studies, I was high on drugs. I was high on drugs. I was out there, and they were studying the Bible with me, and I, I wasn't quite understanding. And instead of getting frustrated for me, the guys were very loving with me. They knew I was living with my girlfriend in an immoral relationship, and yet they were patient with me. They kept getting with me. And I didn't quite understand why these guys were so patient with me. I thought that people at church were perfect people, that that was the aim, was I'm going to be perfect, you know, and, and, and perfect people come to church, and man, I have a hard time just being at church because I'm not like these guys. And little by little, what I started understanding that these guys were a mess just like I was, except they were forgiven for their sins. And that motivated me to want to experience the grace and mercy of God, even though I had experienced it quite a bit because God spared my life so many times. Could you relate with that? God has spared you over and over and over, and you're here today, and hopefully you're willing to receive God's mercy. If you're not a Christian yet, I want to encourage you to seek God with all of your heart. You know, and the way that Christ and God were merciful to me and how he allowed these brothers to love me even in my, in my, the position I was in where I had not earned it. I had not earned their trust, but they chose to trust me. I had not earned their love, but they chose to love me. I was blown away. You know, they were a mirror of God. They were able to help me see Jesus right in front of me in the flesh, 
where I didn't really experience Jesus before that way, where all I had experienced from religious people in the past was judgment. I was able to see true relationship that offered mercy to one another. We don't want to be like the unmerciful servant. We don't want to be the one that is forgiven of all their debt and yet, you know, major debt and then goes and chokes somebody out because they owe him a dollar. We don't want to be that person. We want to be those that offer mercy to others because God has shown it to us. Next one. God commands me to be merciful. In Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, the New King James Version, I mixed up the versions a little bit here to give you a little taste for other ones. The Bible says, For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. You're like, okay, that's a cool scripture. Okay, what, what does that really mean? God is saying that he prefers mercy over worship. We worship God, we lift up our hands, right, and we swing back and forth. I see some of you. Woo! We're singing, and you're fired up that you get to worship. But God says, I, I prefer mercy over worship. We give our offering. I prefer mercy over sacrifice. It's not that God doesn't want you to worship or doesn't want you to sacrifice or doesn't want, to, want you to give your offering, but he prefers mercy over worship. Well, what does that mean exactly? Well, he'd rather have us have a soft heart and a merciful heart over having a great worship experience. Because we could worship all we want, and we could be moved by service all we want, but if we go back out in the world and display no mercy to people, and don't help people that are in need, and don't forgive those who have sinned against us, and we carry around bitterness and lack of forgiveness in our heart, he says, that's completely worthless, guys. I've had mercy on you, and I'm commanding you to be merciful. Jesus uses this scripture two different times as he's dealing with the Pharisees. And if you know anything about the Pharisees, they were very religious, and they didn't quite grasp that their worship and legalism was repugnant to God. Without the existence and the spirit of mercy, woven into everything that they did. They lacked that. You know what was woven into the spirit of what they did? It was judgment and condemnation and meritocracy. You're going to have to earn this. Look at how good I am. Look at my robe. Look at my tassels. This tells you just how godly I am. And yet inside, they were full of bitterness. Their religiosity was repugnant to God because they did not practice mercy. They sacrificed, they, they did their burnt offerings, and God said, that worship is unacceptable to me. What I desire is a soft, merciful heart. Is mercy woven into your obedience and worship of God? It needs to be part of our daily walk. We need to find ways to be merciful to others because God commands it. 
We don't want to be legalistic. We don't want to be all about rules and regulations. We don't want to miss the point in practicing mercy. And this is the reason why Jesus is teaching his disciples as they sit around him and they have a whole audience behind them. He's saying, I want you to be agents of mercy, to go out into the world and show people my kingdom and what it's about. It's not about judgment and condemnation and being religious and looking good on the outside, but it's about having a soft heart on the inside that overflows in your dealings with people. And they sense my presence because you have God's Spirit living inside of you. You see, just like Sergio experienced the guys that were studying with him and them offering them their trust and their love when it wasn't merited, you see, when they do that, they show a clear picture of what I'm all about. And you as agents of mercy got to go and deliver that to the rest of the world to show them what God is all about. God commands us to be merciful. It's important to him. It's of greatest importance. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James chapter 2, verses 12 to 13. In the NIV, it says, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, you guys know that relationships and marriages, both, are very difficult, right? It's difficult to be married. It's got to be tough for Kristen to be married to me. It takes a lot of effort to have good relationships. It takes a lot of effort to have a great marriage. I'm going to give you the key to success this morning, though. You guys ready? You guys want to have a great marriage? You want to have great relationships with other people? You, you want to have great friends? Okay, so a great marriage is the union of two great forgivers of two very merciful people, of two incredible agents of mercy. Did you get that? A great marriage is the union of two great forgivers. A great dating relationship, a great engagement requires two great forgivers, two incredible agents of mercy. Great friendships and partnerships in God's kingdom require both people or all parties to be great forgivers. But when you have a bad marriage, you may have one okay forgiver and one grudger. Are you a grudger? You hurt me, and so I'm going to make you pay me back. I'm going to punish you. This is a meritocracy, and you have not earned my trust, right? And we even counsel each other sometimes. Well, you broke trust, bro or sis. Now you're going to have to pay isn't that the way the world functions? Why do we bring that into the church? Because Dr. Phil and Oprah tell us so? We, we ought to be two great forgivers, people that forgive one another and put that stuff behind us. Should there be repentance? Absolutely. But there needs to be repentance on both sides, both parties. You want to have a successful marriage? Become two great 
forgivers. You want to have great friendships? Become agents of mercy in those relationships. Teens, teenagers, are you guys out there? And campus, you guys are going to wrong each other in friendships. You're going to say the wrong thing over social media because some of you guys say some pretty crazy things on there. Stop it. But, you know, you post a meme that rubs somebody the wrong way, right? I'm a meme guy. I like memes. And then you have, so all of a sudden you have somebody have an attitude with you. And you're like, oh, no, my friendship is ruined. They wronged me. How could that person do that to me? You know how they could do that to you? They're a bunch of sinners, just like you. You want to have a great friendship? Be a great forgiver. I can't believe my girlfriend did what she did to me. Well, I tell you what, she's a sinner. You're going to have to forgive her if you want her to still be your girlfriend. If you want her to pay, you know, you want, you want her to pay somehow, you're going to punish her. It's not going to work out. You know, some of your boyfriends are not very smart, girls. You know how I know? Because I was a boyfriend at one time. They're going to do dumb things. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. We're going to be judged by Jesus. And he brings us the law that gives freedom. He says, have mercy over people because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. If you want to judge somebody, if you want to beat them up because they wronged you, guess what's going to be doled out to you on judgment day? Judgment. Is that what you want? If you're judgmental, if you're, okay, for the, for the young people, judgy. That's a new word, by the way. If you're judgy, it's supposed to be judgmental, young guys, by the way. But if you're judgy, you're going to be judged. You're not going to make it. You can't live this life where you expect people to pay back in some way. You can't live this punitive life with this punitive system or ideology or punitive theology. You can't do it. We can't bring that into the church. Mercy triumphs over judgment every time. Well, how do I get there, Sergio? Well, I'm going to tell you. You know, in a bad relationship, there's typically a lack of wisdom. Turn over with me to James chapter 3, verse 17. I don't have it up there. That's okay. There's a bonus for you. James 3.17 says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial and sincere. So it takes wisdom from heaven okay, to be able to be full of mercy and impartial and sincere. So you're going to have to get wise. You're going to have to pray for wisdom. The Bible says, how do you get wise? You pray for wisdom. And you fill yourself with the Word, and then you practice it. You don't just listen to it, because it's foolish to just listen to the, war, to, to the Word. You deceive yourself, but you actually got to put it to practice. Okay, so mercy triumphs over judgment in any relationship. Be wise. Practice the Word. Show mercy to people. Next. Okay, I hope that, that was quick. I know, but sorry. We got to move on. Mercy is the key to happiness. 
In Proverbs eleven seventeen, this is God's word translation, the GW. It says, a merciful person helps himself, but a cruel person hurts himself. You know, they say that, I don't know who they is, but they say. They say that resentment and lack of mercy is like a poison that we carry around inside of us with the hope that when we get a chance, we can deposit it where it's going to harm the other person who has injured us. The fact is that we carry this poison around and it actually hurts us internally and possibly kills us eternally. We carry this junk around hoping that we get the chance to face that person that hurts us or maybe somebody else hurts us and we can unload all punishment, all that poison on that person. And we do this unconsciously. You know, somebody wrongs me at you know, the wrong time where I'm carrying this junk around, man, and they're going to get the wrath of Sergio. You know, and I've blown it many times with these guys. I, and, you know, I, I, I feel a lot of hurts, you know, and I have to work through them all the time. And, and you do too, from your past, from whatever, relationships. And Kristen has seen this happen, maybe not with her, but with other people that, that crossed me. You know, and they, they're, you know, they're just mean. I had, a, I had an instance on the phone this weekend. I'm ashamed of it. But I was, you know, I was calling to set up an appointment with my doctor. And they told me that I had some results from a year and a half ago from an endoscopy that I had. And there's something on there. And I'm like, really? You guys didn't call me? This was a year and a half ago. You know, and I have a predisposition to cancer. And... I was like, are you guys serious? You need to give me these results now. I need an appointment ASAP. The first appointment we have, sir, is in October. And you should have called us way earlier. I said, what? I, I didn't receive anything from you guys. Everything was clear. And I was not happy. And I went back and forth, and I said, look, lady, you displayed no empathy and care whatsoever. Now... Those may have been very true words, but the spirit in which I delivered them was not good. You know who I hurt in the process of all that? Myself. I carried around this poison that I was unloading on somebody else because I was frustrated, I was bothered, and you're like, well, yeah, they needed to hear that. But you see, what happens to my heart at that time is I don't have a happy heart. I don't have a happy spirit. And I don't know what's going to happen, but I, I should have displayed mercy to that person because mercy is the key to happiness. We walk around feeling like the world owes us something or they've wronged us and they deserve our wrath. You will never be a happy person. You will never experience true happiness. Sergio, but you don't know what my dad or my mom did to me. I could only imagine. And maybe I can't relate. But if you're going to be happy, if you're going to be a citizen of God's kingdom and live the kingdom life, you're going to have to have mercy because mercy is the key to happiness. Okay, I want to give you some ways to practice mercy. Some practicals for you. Be kind and merciful to others. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32, it says, Stop being bitter and angry and mad at others. Don't yell at one another or curse each other, or ever be rude. 
Instead, be kind and merciful and forgive others just as God forgave you because of Christ. If you're going to be merciful, you're going to be able to have, if you are merciful, you're going to have great relationships as God intended, as citizens of God's kingdom. You know, these scriptures that are here that we're going to read are going to help you in that pursuit. You know, the world acts opposite of this scripture. There's no mercy in this world. You know, people are bitter and angry and mad at others. In families, there's families that don't talk, right? They don't even show up at weddings or funerals because they can't be near each other. In marriages, people yell and curse each other, and they're rude to one another. That cannot be in God's kingdom. You got to be kind and merciful to others. You got to forgive just as God forgave you. You know that the most hurtful people are the ones that most need your mercy? Who keeps hurting you the most? Or who has hurt you the most? Those are the people that you need to go offer mercy to right now. In your heart, you need to offer mercy to them. Now, not punishment. Stop that. That has no place in God's kingdom. Another way to practice mercy, be patient with people's quirks. In Ephesians 4, 2, it says, be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. You know, I have so many quirks. I have one that Kristen hates. I scratch my throat when I get allergies. I do that. She hates it. She looks at me with contempt when I do it. She shoots flaming arrows with her eyes. You know, I kind of do the Matrix thing when, you know, woohoo. I dodge them. I'm good at that. What quirks do you have? What are some quirks that you guys have? Let's see. Let's hear them. Matt, I know you have some quirks. Yes. Okay, so you poke and mess with them, and then they explode on you, and you have no idea why? What happened? Terrence? You bite your nails? Rebecca? Okay. <laughs> what else? Other quirks? Yes. 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 Yes, Kaylee. You pace back and forth, kind of like I do when I'm preaching? Who else was over there raising their hand? Yes, Lisa? Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, we, we all have these different quirks, but be humble and gentle with people. Be patient with people. You know, love them. Why? Well, because you have faults too. You know, how awesome is it when people are able to overlook your faults and they don't say anything? Man, I have a hard time keeping my mouth shut with people's faults. I have, like, major OCD, and when people have very obvious quirks, I can't, I can't help it but stare at what they're doing. You know, or, or they may have... Have you ever talked to somebody and they have, like, a hair growing out of their forehead? And... You know, something that obvious, that's how people's quirks are to me. And I just can't help, and they're talking to me, and I'm just looking at the hair 
on their forehead. I have a problem. And we all have a problem with people's faults. Be patient with people's quirks. That's a way to practice mercy. Another way, build bridges of love with the unpopular. Matthew 11, 18 through 20, it says, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds or by her actions. You know, Jesus came and he hung out with people of ill repute. And they thought, here's a religious man. He claims to be the Son of God, and he's hanging out with drunkards. He's hanging out with tax collectors. He's hanging out with sinners and prostitutes. And these were the people Jesus hung out with. And if he is our example of how to practice mercy, we got to do the same. And how do we do that? We build bridges of love with people that are unpopular, with people that may not be what we would consider Christians. And it's important to be able to build those bridges of love because if somebody's going to become a Christian, it's because you showed them Jesus. And those people have no hope unless you bring it to them in love and mercy. And so start building those bridges of love just like Jesus did. Next one is value relationships over religiosity. Jude 22 to 23 says... Show mercy to those who have doubts. Save others by snatching them from the fire of hell. Show mercy to others, even though you're afraid that you might be stained by their sinful lives. Take a picture of that because there's another two scriptures on there that I think are going to be important for you. Romans 13.10 says, Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. We get so caught up sometimes trying to be godly and righteous, and you know what? We should want to be godly and righteous, and we should practice things that are scriptural and apply them to our lives and do our very best to walk with God closely. But there's going to be people that are so far removed from God that we got to value relationship over religiosity. I can't be around you because you're a pot smoker, or I can't be around you because you know, you're, you're a drunk, or this and that. And I know we talked about that a little bit in, in, in the passage before, but sometimes we don't want to be seen or hang out with those people. I appreciate David and Susan Arevalo because, you know, they, they were just recently reaching out to, to a homeless man and his friend, and he was struggling with alcoholism and had liver cancer, and, you know, he was going to die. And they did everything possible to help this guy. Had him over their house. They went to eat with them. They helped provide for him in so many ways. They were trying to show mercy to him and snatching him from the fire of hell. They poured their life out for this guy. And sometimes we don't want to have anything to do with people like that we got to value relationships over religiosity. It also happens to be that we need to do that in the church. When people wrong us or when people have issues that, you know, we feel like I can't have anything to do with him because, you know, he gossips. And, and, and I don't struggle with that. And, ooh, that sin is just terrible. And I can't believe that. And she's a sinner. And look at the way she looks or look at the way she dresses. you, you got to value re relationships over religiosity. I had a sister a couple years ago come to me and say, have you seen the way those two sisters over there dress? You need to talk to them. You're the minister. Very judgy, right? And I was like, sister, you need to check your heart. And she wasn't having any of it. 
And we've got to value relationships over religiosity. You know, it's like we're Pharisees sometimes. You know, maybe your dad or mom or, you know, whoever's hurt you, you've got to value relationship over religiosity with them and stop preaching so much to them and start loving them. Start spending time with them. Maybe you'll win them over by your love and the mercy that you show them. I'm going to give you some homework for this week. You guys ready? All right. I have two minutes and 16 seconds. So I'm going to turn off my timer here because it's going to go off. My two-minute warning is coming up in four seconds, so I'm going to give you this homework. You guys ready for it? Take a picture of it. Your mission for the week if you choose to accept it because you're agents of mercy, right? And you're going to be let out, sent out into the world. Is commit an act of premeditated mercy. Okay, what does that mean? That you're going to go do something that you actually planned on doing. You're going to plan on showing mercy to somebody. And what this means is that you're going to err on the side of being too merciful and too forgiving and too loving. Well, Sergio, I don't know if I should do that. That's crazy. Well, isn't that what Jesus did for you? He was, he was erring on the side of being too merciful, too forgiving, and too loving. Because we deserve punishment. So you're going to go out, and you're going to be like Jesus. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to take a picture of this, and then you're going to put it down on paper when you get home, and you're going to write some initials next to your notes besides these. Who do I need to be patient with this week that irritates me? And please choose somebody other than me, because you put up with me every week. Who around me is hurting me that I can help this week by showing them mercy? Or, I'm sorry, who, who around me is hurting that I can help this week? Who do I need to give a second chance to? Maybe there's somebody that you've written completely out of your life. Who do you need to give a second chance to? Who has hurt me that I can do good to? Who offends me that I should pray for? Who can I build a bridge of love or with or to that, that is an outcast? What non-Christian can I invite to lunch, dinner, or coffee to this week? If we're going to be agents of mercy, people that create an environment where there's forgiveness and acceptance and inclusiveness and love, if we're going to be these agents of mercy, we've got to mirror what God has done for us. God has shown me mercy. That's why I need to be merciful. God commands me to be merciful. That's why I need to offer mercy to others. Mercy triumphs over judgment. If I'm going to have great relationships, if you're going to have great marriages and great partnerships and great friendships in God's kingdom, show mercy because it triumphs over judgment. If you want to be truly blessed and happy as Jesus was teaching his disciples to be and live a true kingdom life, mercy is the key to that happiness. Church, let's be agents of mercy.
That's what's truly going to make you happy. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for your word and how powerful it is in our lives. I pray, God, that you allow us to truly understand how merciful you've been to us and how we ought to offer that mercy to others. Help us know, God, that you are commanding us to be merciful, that we can bring people to a place of, you know, just complete union with you because we're showing that mercy to them that you've showed us. I pray, God, that we truly understand that mercy triumphs over judgment. Help us to not be judgmental people that value religion over relationships. God, help us to focus on our relationships with others, our relationships with you. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And God, help us to show people the true key to happiness, that mercy is the only way. Lord, we commit to you this morning. We want to be agents of mercy for you to make your kingdom an incredible place. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the IE Church of Christ podcast. If you would like to connect, you can follow us at iechurch.com or look up IE Church Riverside on Facebook for more information.